Our scripture today is John 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever will believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is the living word of God for us today. You may be seated. Amen. Good morning, fellowship. If you grew up watching sports in the 1980s, like me, then you will no doubt recognize this. This sign was behind the goalposts of every NFL game that I ever watched growing up. At least it felt that way. Uh, it was behind the basketball hoop during free throw shots in every NBA game. It was behind home plate of every Major League Baseball game. Anytime there was an opportunity where a major sporting event was going to be broadcast on network television, you can better believe you were going to see John 3.16. Now, what you may not know about this sign is those signs and all those sporting events, and you still see them, they originated through the unusual efforts of a very unusual man. His name was Roland Stewart, also known as Rainbow Man. He was known as Rainbow Man because before he converted to Christianity, he used to wear this giant rainbow wig and he would go to all the sporting events and get on TV and just be no, not holding the sign, just there he is smiling with his giant rainbow wig. He was interviewed about this one time. And you know, what, what's the purpose of this? Why is he doing this? And, and this was his goal, quote, to become the most famous person in the world that no one knows. <laughs> then Roland had a deeply spiritual experience. And after that, he started holding up the John 3.16 signs. And then other people around the country started joining him and imitating him. And that's why all those signs spread. It became a, a trending thing. It went viral before that was something that we even talked about. Now, in 1992, his life took a bizarre and tragic turn. He was arrested and sentenced to life in prison for holding a hostage in an L.A. hotel. And if you read about the life of Roland Stewart, it's crazy. It's bizarre. Honestly, I don't even know what to think about it. But I can summarize it this way. He actually did become one of the most famous people in the world that nobody knows. You didn't know his name, most of you, but you saw his signs. You saw sort of his impact and his influence. And, and I'm sure there's been some good that God has used in all of this, no doubt. But I also believe, unfortunately, I think he helped make John 3.16 the most famous verse in the Bible that many people don't know. In the years since Roland Stewart, the verse has appeared on banners and overpasses, printed on shopping bags from Forever 21, uh, printed underneath quarterback Tim Tebow's eyes in a national championship game, inscribed on cups from In-N-Out Burger. The John 3.16 sign has become a cultural icon. And in the process, I wonder if for most people it's lost its meaning. Today, we're going to talk about what John 3.16 really means. 
And, and here's the way, way I'll, I'll say it. I'll repeat this a couple of times. John 3.16 is a biblical address that points to a single statement of truth that contains the whole gospel and brings every person to a personal decision. It's a biblical address that points to a single statement of truth that contains the whole gospel and brings every person to a personal decision. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I, I want us to understand this verse. And I want to tell you at the beginning, this message is going to be a little bit different than normal. And one of the ways it's going to be a little bit different than normal is, you know, before we start a teaching series, we walk through the whole book of the Bible and we divide up the text into, you know, bite-sized chunks and we assign a week to each section, each passage of the scripture. And so this morning, I'm supposed to cover John 3, 16 through 21, but I'm only going to cover this one verse. And I want to tell you why. Because when we leave this room, I don't want there to be any confusion for any person what this verse means for you. And so I'm going to do the best job I can of explaining John 3, 16, and then I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond. Every single person is gonna have an opportunity to respond this morning. But the real work will be the work of the Spirit of God blowing in this room. Because, as Carl reminded us earlier, it's only the Spirit that can open our eyes, our ears, our hearts. It's only by the Spirit that we come to believe. With that in mind, let me reread our verse, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. To understand John three sixteen rightly, you have to put it in its rightful context. And so if you were here last week and I hope you were, I hope you've watched online, you heard part one of this message. And Lloyd was very intentional to say, this is part one, part two is coming next week. We've got to connect these two parts together because John 3, 16, when it's pulled out of its context in a sporting event, it, 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 it loses the meaning of what the, Jesus spoke these words in a particular context to a particular person. And that was, of course, Nicodemus. So remember, Nicodemus was a prominent member of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious experts of the day who, by and large, did not believe in Jesus. In fact, they were opposed to Jesus. Every step Jesus took, they were opposed to him. But Nicodemus believed at least one thing about Jesus, that Jesus was a teacher sent by God. And so in the, the very beginning of chapter three, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night likely because he doesn't want to be seen. He comes to Jesus at night, says, we know you're a teacher sent from God because no one can do the signs that you're doing unless God is with him. And then Jesus' very next words were these, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I love the way Lloyd explained that last week. Why did Jesus go there right off? Like he went head on with Nicodemus. Well, Nicodemus' theology had always believed that it was his first birth that got him into the kingdom of God. In other words, his birth is a Jew. Like he was born in. The Jewish people were God's people. And now this teacher 
sent by God, Jesus was telling him, Nicodemus, your nationality, your religious identity is not enough. You have to have a second birth. A birth, Jesus goes on to explain, that's from above, which means a spiritual birth. You've already had your physical birth. You need to be born again. Spiritual birth. And, and I'm sure this is the first time in Nicodemus's life that the thought ever came to him that he was outside the kingdom of God. And that must have just been one of those moments for him where he's just staggering. It's just, he, he's just trying to get his mind around this. This is so different from his earliest memory. He was reciting the Torah. He had the Torah memorized. Guys, the Torah is the first five books of our Old Testament. That's what they did back then. They didn't have television. <laughs> they didn't have internet. They memorized the Bible. That's what they did. And so Nicodemus would have had the whole Torah memorized. And now as an adult, he was not just a good teacher. He was, according to our text, the teacher, the teacher, Israel's teacher. He was impeccable in his obedience of God's law. He was one of the most spiritual of all spiritual people. Here's a way some of us can identify with Nicodemus. Many of us were born in a Christian family. You know, I was, I know not everyone was, but I was born in a Christian family. I was born in a great Christian family. I went to a great church. And, and I was one of those folks that from the time I was in diapers, I knew the Bible stories. And I had no reason not to believe them. If you are like me and you'd say, yeah, I was born a Christian. I was born in a Christian family, so to speak. Has it ever occurred to you that you may be outside of God's kingdom in fact, what Jesus would say to you is the same thing he said to Nicodemus, which is this, you are outside the kingdom unless you've been born again, unless you've had a spiritual birth. That's exactly what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. And so you see Nicodemus in the text, he's struggling with this as intelligent and learned as he was. He's wrestling with this. And then in, uh, in verse nine in chapter three, he says this wonderful question, how can these things be. And, and Lloyd reminded us last week, that's a great question because it means you're right on the verge of faith because you're at the end of, your, end of your own resources. How can these things be? And I want you just to pause, but before we even get back to verse 16, I, I want you to think about this. Jesus was engaging Nicodemus in the way Nicodemus needed to be engaged. Jesus was boldly entering into his story. And, and, and here's what I mean. He was, Nicodemus was Israel's teacher and Jesus was disrupting everything Nicodemus thought he knew. Nicodemus' identity was knowledge. Knowledge about God, knowledge about God's plan, knowledge about God's people. And there in that very place, Jesus chose to bring disruption and invite him to faith. It's important to see that in this context because that's exactly what Jesus wants to do in each of us. And, and it's this. Boldly, but lovingly, bring us to a place where we are at the end of ourselves and at the end of our own resources. And then, in that place of disruption, Jesus invites us to believe. I want you to hear some stories this morning of some people right here in our body, in our church 
in whose lives Jesus did exactly that. Let's take a look. So my life before Christ would be, uh, I was basically selfish, self-absorbed. I was white knuckling life, living for the weekend. I don't know that I ever understood what the word faith meant. I went to Catholic school for all 12 years of my education. It created a, a cycle of guilt and shame that just replayed itself constantly. Before I met Jesus, I felt that I had to be in control of everything. I had a lot of opinions and beliefs about Christians. They thought they did nothing wrong, but we all did. I remember distinctly one time, it was a, it was a Sunday. Um, I was on my couch a little hungover from the night before. I had a stark realization that this is not how I need to be living. Um, I worked with an individual named Javier, and I saw the way he lived his life. He was living out the gospel, and I began to study and thought I could do it alone. I was literally uh, practicing to be a Christian, but only in my head. God sent a woman to come and get me. It was the first time in my life that anybody ever explained the gospel to me. And you know what? Grace made me angry. I thought, you gotta be kidding me. That can't be right. My first daughter, she lived for three days. And that rocked my world. As a product of the late 60s and early 70s, it was really cool to be a rebel. And I wore that mantle pretty well. I headed off to college, and I wanted to be a graphic designer, mostly because my art teacher in high school told me I'd never make it. And I said, I'll show you, because rebellion was in my nature. My wife, she was pregnant with our youngest. The doctor told us a couple months later that she would have the baby and probably lose her life. She made the choice very quickly to have the baby, and she did. Two years later, lost her life. About a month later, my son went into the hospital with some stomach aches, and they found out that he had a mass in his stomach. And the doctor said he didn't know what it was, it didn't look good, and said, we'll keep him overnight. And that was it, that was a tipping point. And I went to war, I went to war with God. I went to war with God. Some of you have been there. You know what that feels like. I also want to say to you, there's a sense that all of us have been there. You know, the Bible teaches us that we are born not into the kingdom of God. We're born into a different kingdom. We're born into a kingdom of darkness. And the darkness that's out there in our world is also in here, inside of us. The Bible teaches us that, that we're born unreconciled with God. We're, we're actually born enemies of God. And you might think, I don't feel like an enemy of God. And the, the fundamental cry of your heart, just like mine and everyone else that we're born with, is I want to be my own. I want to make my own decisions. I don't want to obey anyone. I want to be my own God. And so our hearts are wired toward independence. We're born lost, not found. We're born into a world that's hard and Jesus will allow disruption. He will move in such a way that brings disruption into our lives, just as he did for Nicodemus. 
And so the first thing that John 3.16 tells us is this, for God so loved the world. Let that sink in. God loves this place of darkness, this, this place of brokenness and evil and sickness and death. He loves this hard place that we live in. And what is it about the world, this, the harsh world that God loves? It's not the brokenness, it's not the evil, it's not the sickness and death. It's the people that are lost in it. In fact, God loves the people lost in the world so much that he sent his own son into the world. Jesus entered the suffering, the futility, even the death. And he did all of that for a clear purpose. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to get swallowed up by the death that saturates the dark kingdom that you've been born into. Instead, he wants life for you. He wants to move in you in the opposite direction of death. Whosoever believes in him, so open, it's so inclusive. Who gets eternal life? Whoever believes in him. Now track with me through the whole conversation that Jesus has had with Nicodemus up to this point, because it really, this context really, really matters. Jesus starts off by confronting Nicodemus with, with, with the hard thing for him to grasp, and that's this. Nicodemus, no one is born into the kingdom of God with your first birth. You're, you're not in. You're not born in. You are born, in fact, Nicodemus, into a world of darkness. So in order to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. You're born in a kingdom of darkness. You now need to be born into a kingdom of light, a spiritual kingdom, a, a birth that's from above as Jesus explains it. And just like your first birth, it's not anything you can do. Like you had no control over your first birth and who gave you birth, what the circumstances were, where you were born, what family you were born in. You have no control over your second birth. And in this sense, it's a work of the spirit in you. We'll, we'll talk about our part in a minute. But here's what I want you to understand. Jesus is helping Nicodemus see, God has to do a work in you, Nicodemus. It's not about keeping the law. It's not about having all the right theology and being Jewish and the right nationality. God must do a work inside of you. God must breathe spiritual life into you. And then you get to John 3, 16, and you see the pieces come together. And that spiritual rebirth happens when you believe. But not just believe in anything. Nicodemus believed in a lot of things. Nicodemus had great theology. Believe in him. In other words, believe in the one God sent to rescue the world he loves. Believe in the son. Whoever, whoever believes in him. I want you to see how simple and profound this is. You must be born again. 
How do you become born again? Believe in him. Who's him? The son of God who has come to rescue the world. Who can be born again? Whoever believes in him. So here's the next question that we must answer. What does it mean to believe in him? How do I do it? Like, what's my part? How does this all work? It's mystery, but I want to help you this morning. I want to help you understand what Jesus means when he says believe. Because here's the problem that we have right now. We're living in a time and place and a culture where you go up to most people. I mean, I'm literally most people and say, do you believe in Jesus? Most people in our country will say yes. In fact, recent survey has shown, yes, the number is declining, but, but even though it's declining, it's still significantly above 50% of Americans when asked will say, yes, I believe in Jesus. But if you ask them the next level question down was, what does that mean to you to believe in Jesus? The answers are all over the place. Guys, this is so important. Let me, let me just speak from my heart for a minute on this. We have to know what it means to believe in a biblical sense. As I meet people in our congregation, you know, in this church, and I talk to them and, and I ask them, and one of the questions sometimes I'll, I'll ask as I'm getting to know someone is I'll just say, you know, tell me your story. When did you come to put your faith in Jesus? Or when did you come to trust Jesus? Or when did you come to believe in Jesus? I'll, I'll use those terms kind of interchangeably. And a lot of times, I, almost most times, I'll hear something like this. Well, I grew up in the church and I've always believed in Jesus. I, I can't, I don't think there was a time, I, I can't remember anyway, where I didn't believe in Jesus. And there's two things going in my mind simultaneously on that. Number one is, I understand, like, I, I get it. And, and I'm thrilled that you're born in a Christian family. What a gift that is to you that you can say you can't remember a time in your life you didn't believe in Jesus. But there's another part of my mind too. And, and that's like, I, what do you actually mean when you believe? Because the Bible would teach you that you were not born into it. That there was a time in your life when you went from dead to alive. There was a time in your life, if you are born again, that you had a spiritual birth where one day was before and the next day was after. That, that's what this new birth is teaching us. And and guys, let me just say this. I'm not saying you have to know the day necessarily. I'm not saying you have to remember the time necessarily. That's not always the way that works. But what I am saying is you need to understand what belief in Jesus really means and what it doesn't believe. Because I think there's a lot of people in our church, in this room, us right now that would say, I believe in Jesus. And what you're talking about is not actually what Jesus meant. That was really good timing. <laughs> Not what Jesus meant. You know, his phone going off. Okay. Thanks for that. That was good. All right. So here's what I want to do. I want to illustrate something that's been helpful to me over the years of understanding. When the Bible says believe in Jesus, what's that actually talking about? Does it just mean like, I believe Jesus lived, you know, like he was a historical figure. I believe Jesus died. And what, what does that actually mean to believe in Jesus? Okay. Let me, uh, I, I just killed the slide, but let me go to this. Here's what Christians have meant thousands of years when they talk about biblical faith. It's these three things all 
inner working together. Knowledge plus agreement plus trust. Knowledge plus agreement plus trust. Let me, let me unpack those just super fast so you can understand what these are. Knowledge is knowing the facts. So that's exactly what you think of when you hear the word knowledge. It's knowing the facts. What are the facts of the gospel? What are the facts that you need to know to believe? Jesus is God in the flesh who came into our world. He lived a sinless life. He became the final sacrifice for all of the sin of the world on the cross. And he defeated death through his resurrection. Those are the things you need to know. That's the basics of the gospel. Jesus is God in the flesh come into our world. He lived a sinless life. He became the final sacrifice for all sin on the cross. And he defeated death through his resurrection. Belief in Jesus must start with the facts of the gospel. But knowing the facts of the gospel is not biblical faith. Clearest example I can give to you would be a university professor who teaches a religions class and he knows backwards and forwards the Christian story. He knows the Bible better than most of us in this room does, but he does not believe a lick of it. He could explain the gospel to you very clearly what Christians believe, but he does not believe. So you have to add to your knowledge agreement, or, or sometimes you might hear it said assent, but I think the word agreement is a little easier to grab Agreement means accepting the truth. So once you know the facts, then you can decide whether you believe them or not, whether you receive them as true. And, and so this is the point where, where the facts of the gospel be, be, become something that you believe. You, you say, I, I believe that they're historically true. The gospel has gone from awareness to agreement. You'd say, yes, I believe those things really happened. Jesus really did die. He really did raise from the dead, etc." I think this is where a lot of people who say they believe in Jesus are, and they're surprised to learn that knowledge plus agreement does not equal saving faith. And let me just give you one biblical reference for this. In James chapter two, James is, is writing about faith and works and how they work together. And really what he's getting after is, is what is true faith? What is biblical faith? Like what is biblical belief is exactly what we're talking about. And in James 2, 19, he says, you believe that there's one God, good. Even the demons believe and shudder. Have you ever thought about that? The demons not only know what Jesus did and who he was, they know he rose from the grave. They know why Jesus did it. They have knowledge, they have agreement in the sense that, yeah, yeah, we have to admit that actually happened. Those things are true. Jesus did all that. Jesus defeated death. All that's true. What they lack is trust. Trust is committing yourself. With trust we move into that part of us that we call the will. Trust has to do with choosing, with acting. And, and this is why when someone says, I've always believed in Jesus, I can't remember a time when I believed in Jesus. I'm like, that may be true, but, but when did you choose to put your trust in Jesus? And they might say, well, what does that actually mean? To trust means to put your confidence in, but it's a confidence with skin in the game. And so let me give you a quick illustration that I think you might find really helpful. Imagine that you're really sick and you go to the doctor 
and the doctor does some scans of your heart and some tests and, and the doctor comes to you and says, listen, I'm sorry to tell you this, but based on what I'm seeing on your scans and from my own experience and knowledge as you know, a doctor for 30 plus years, you are going to die unless you allow me to do surgery on your heart, to, to cut you open and repair what is broken inside of you. Now, once you've heard the facts, you have knowledge. And it's up to you whether or not you're gonna believe this doctor. And you can just say, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. I'm not gonna believe that. Or you can say, okay, I agree with those facts. Now you have agreement, but just knowledge of the facts and agreement of the facts will not save you. You are not saved until you say, yes, do the surgery and you make the choice to lay down on the operating table and entrust yourself to the surgeon. That's what Jesus meant by whoever believes in him. You got to know the gospel. You've got to agree it's true and you got to trust it. You know what Jesus did for you. He died in your place for your sins so that you'd be forgiven. You accept it as true. You say, I believe that really happened. But it doesn't stop there, guys. You've got to make a decision. You make a decision to entrust your life to him, your future him. In other words, you choose to follow Jesus. You choose Jesus, you say, hey, I'm, that's where I'm putting my trust. That's biblical belief. That is saving faith. And Jesus says, whoever believes in me, do you believe? If you do, be assured you have eternal life. Be assured from the mouth of Jesus in John 3, 16, you have eternal life. This is what John 3, 16 means. It's a single statement of truth. It contains the whole gospel and brings every person to a personal decision. Your decision this morning is, do I believe? I want you to hear the personal decisions of the people from our video earlier. Let's take a look. So when I had children uh, after that, one of the things that I decided I was gonna do was go to church so that I could get my kids in a youth group, turn them into Jesus freaks so they wouldn't become drug addicts, alcoholics, or pregnant. But what God did was he gave me eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to believe. And slowly but surely I began to see that I was broken. Whenever we talked about the gospel, whenever we talked about a relationship with God, we ended up in a fight. Anne essentially came to me in tears in her apartment one morning and said, I am so sorry. I cannot marry you. I just can't do this because in this part of our life, we're just, we're not partners, we're not together, we're different. I headed off to college and I wanted to be a graphic designer. I was surrounded by three guys around my station who happened to be believers in Christ and they talked about him all the time. Um, I said things and 
and argued with him and even threw stones at one point, trying to throw him as high as I could just to get him to feel something that I was feeling. And in the middle of all that, it, it hit me that I either had to choose him and choose the faith that he wanted for me, to choose his path, to choose his understanding, or to stay on mine. The moment I first believed in Jesus, it happened right here in Fellowship Bible Church on a Sunday in the second row. We were studying the Gospel of Mark, and in chapter nine, Rob covered the unbelief prayer, and I remember it. God, I believe. I started to close my eyes during worship, and I actually had an experience where I met Jesus, and I felt all the pain leave my body. And I remember thinking, this is what it must be like in heaven. Um, so I remember scrolling through Instagram that Sunday afternoon, and an Instagram ad popped up for uh, Two Cities Church uh, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, and I made the commitment, I was like, I don't care what's happening next Sunday, I'm gonna be there. That was the church I ended up getting saved at, finding new community and, and made some lifelong friends in, in the small group that I had joined. Right there in her apartment, I knelt down on her living room floor and I asked Jesus to become the leader of my life. Here's the crazy thing, I stood up a different person than the one who knelt down. The guilt and shame cycle of my young life had finally been broken. So on my 20th birthday, I found myself cleaning out all the dirty brushes. While I was doing that, the door opened to the room. Then I recognized Bob's voice and two other of my classmates. Bob was explaining the gospel to them. But I walked around the partition and I said, Bob, I know that those guys didn't have any interest in what you're saying, but I do. And I sat with him for an hour and a half and I asked him questions. It was not just enough to know about God, I needed to know him and respond to him. I started realizing he abides and he didn't go anywhere and he was right there with me the whole time. And so I started abiding with him and life changed. My name is Jennifer and I believe. My name is JB and I believe. My name is Larry and I believe. My name is Ernie and I believe. My name's Joanne and I believe. My name is Mark and I believe. Amen. Amen. We can clap for that. <laughs> you know, we want to give each of you an opportunity to express your faith. And in a way, what we're going to do this morning is redeem the John 3.16 sign. So you can see up behind me, those are the signatures of people in the first service that said, I want today to be a day that will mark my faith in Jesus, just a record of my faith. And, and I'm gonna invite in just a minute, I'm gonna invite you to do that if you want to. It's not for everybody this morning, and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more, but, but here's why we're doing this. Sometimes we need something tangible to make clear what we believe. Because belief sometimes can feel so squishy. But, but if, if you heard this verse this morning, and then 
you understood what it means to believe. It means I, I know the facts. I believe the facts are true and I'm trusting Jesus. Then I'm gonna invite you to come up and put your name on this sign. In fact, let me go ahead and invite the band to come up first. And we're gonna do this as we're singing together. We're, as we're responding in worship, we're gonna have an opportunity to do this. And, and let, me, let me talk to three different groups of people because I think there's three categories of people in the room this morning. So let me speak briefly to each of you. First, there are those of you who came into the room this morning not believing and now you believe. I really believe there are people in the room that that describes you. Now, maybe you came in the room this morning thinking you believed and then you realized, oh, I don't think I've ever actually made a choice to trust Jesus. And you're gonna do that this morning. And, and uh, you're gonna be a mixed in with all the other people that are signing this board. But guess who's gonna know that today is your spiritual birthday? The Spirit, because He has birthed you. This morning and today is the day of your second birth. And so I hope you'll take this opportunity as we worship to, com to come in up with everybody else and put your name on the sign. Mark this day. Oh, Carl. Mark this day. Is it okay? Is it okay? It'll be fine. That's an important instrument. Uh, by the way, before I go to category two, if that describes you this morning, if you're like, man, I, I think I came to faith this morning. I think I'm making a decision this morning to, to consciously trust Jesus for my rescue. Then I, I want you to go to a, a website. You can just do this now or do it when you get home, whatever. But I want you to remember, can we go ahead and put that website on the screen if we can? Fellowshipbiblechurch.org slash believe. And, and, and there's a little form on there. Here's why we're doing this. We want to help you follow Jesus. If you put your faith in Jesus, we want to help you follow him. And so we'll reach out to you and, and just know how can we help. And we'll celebrate because this is a great day for you. All right, second category of people. You came into the room already believing at some point in your life before today, you were born again and, and you recognize that. And you might remember the day, you might not remember the day, but I, as I describe what it means to believe in Jesus, you thought, yes, I have made that choice. If that describes you, I hope you'll come up as well and sign your name. And I know that may be a lot of us in the room this morning. Today's a great opportunity to express your faith in a tangible way, to put your name on this sign as a testimony that you believe. You believe. And here's the other thing. Maybe you don't remember the day. You don't have that day you can look back on and name. Today can be a day for you that you could say, I, I, I don't know the day that I consciously put my trust in Jesus, but I know on this day, there's a record of it. I wrote my name. And there's a third category of people that you came into the room not believing and you still don't believe. Maybe you're like Nicodemus and you're thinking, how can these things be? Our goal is for you not to feel uncomfortable. No, no one's gonna know or recognize who's coming up and, and, and not. And, and I don't want you to feel any pressure from us. In fact, I'll say, we're so glad you're here and that you're willing to come to a place like this. And, and Interact with people who believe differently than you and, and listen to God's word and even consider Jesus. And here's what I'll say. I, I hope you'll keep coming back because it might just be that Jesus is beginning to enter into your story. 
let me just give you a couple logistics before we sing together. Uh, we're going to use these two stairs right, right on, on this stage to come up and then the wide stairs out there to exit. So if you want to come up and sign in a minute, just, just come on down the two main aisles, come up these stairs here. There'll be an usher here and here that has a blue Sharpie. You can grab that on there and, and sign this board. You might be thinking, I don't know, there's enough room on there. There's enough room. There's plenty of space. There's always space. And so let's cover this board up as the spirit leads with blue ink. Uh, there'll be a couple under the screen over here, over the screen over here with lanyards on. If you just want someone to talk to or pray with, or you still have questions or you have a prayer request, we'll invite you to come and pray with those folks that will be there. They're there for you this morning. And last thing I'm gonna say is this, this sign isn't for everyone. Not everyone needs to sign it. If you're not in the place to say, I've made a conscious decision to trust Jesus with my life, you don't need to sign it. But, but here's who this sign is for. Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, there doesn't need to be any confusion on where you stand. If you believe in Jesus, come up here. Sign your name as we sing together and let's put the John 3.16 sign to good use. Let's do it.